Okay, we've got two uh, readings today. The first one's from Micah, chapter 5, verse 1 through to 4. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So that's the first reading. The second one is from Matthew chapter 2, 1, verse two, 1 through to 8. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Israel with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Well, what's your attitude towards those in authority? I think uh, as Australians, perhaps we have something of a, an anti-authority streak. Maybe it's uh, stemming from our convict roots. Um, or maybe it's, it's part of our kind of egalitarian, give everyone a fair go, cut the tall poppies down to side, uh, size uh, mindset. I wonder if we're a bit against those in authority. But then on the other hand, um, as Australians, we, we seem to be a fairly polite, compliant bunch who generally do as we're told. Uh, and we do enjoy peace, law and order, and we're mostly quite accepting of it. I think you'd have to say that compared to most, uh, sorry, many parts of the world today and, uh, and down throughout history, those in authority over us are, well, they're mostly quite tolerable. Maybe we could put it like that. But then perhaps you're a bit suspicious or even cynical of those in authority. And if you are a bit cynical, you've probably actually got good reason for it because those in authority are actually only human. And so... Who's to say that, that they'll do any better than, than you would or that the next person would? And, and our cynicism can be fueled by a track record of human history and what happens when people in authority are given power. It's one of the great things about a democratic system of government is that it limits power. It prevents people from having too much power and authority to, to actually do things. Uh, which can mean that democracies are terribly inefficient and at times ineffective. As uh, Winston Churchill, the, the great uh, British Prime Minister, once said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. 
But democracy does, one good thing about it is it does limit the power that's given to any one individual. And you might say that, uh, that it has built into it a, a kind of healthy cynicism of those in authority. But I'd say when it comes down to it, we're probably mostly glad for those in authority that, that they're there. I mean, the police force, the legal system, various governments, we're, we're generally glad that they're there, just as long as they, well, they mostly leave us alone to do our own thing. I reckon that kind of captures something of the Australian attitude towards authority. We're kind of glad they're there, but we don't really want to have someone in authority over us. We like to, to think that we're largely autonomous, self-determining, self-sufficient individuals. What's your attitude towards authority? And where does that sit with us when it comes to God? See, how does our anti-authority, slightly rebellious, self-sufficient, individualistic mindset, how does that go when God walks into the room? Uh, are we kind of mostly glad to, to have him there, just as long as he leaves us alone to do our own thing? How does God fit with our tendency and inclination to be largely autonomous, self-sufficient, self-determining individuals? How do you respond to the presence of God, the presence of his authority, the presence of a king? I wonder if our attitude towards authority and God's authority in particular, I wonder if that needs changing. Maybe this passage before us this morning will inform us, will, will challenge us, perhaps correct us in this regard. Last week in our first part of this three-part series, we saw the hope of the Saviour. As Matthew records the angel's announcement that Jesus will save his people from their sins. This week we see the hope of the King. As the next part of Matthew's account unpacks the, the significance of this baby who was born. Interestingly, Matthew doesn't say much at all about the actual details of Jesus' birth. He, he doesn't record the, the journey to Bethlehem or the, the lack of the guest room or the manger or the shepherds or all, all the things which, which Luke records in his gospel. Matthew just says, 1 verse 25, She gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And then the next verse, we, we're given two more details. Firstly, uh, he was born in, in Bethlehem in Judea. And secondly, this was during the time of King Herod. They're the two relevant details that, that set the context for what Matthew records next. And that is the coming of the Magi. We read, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, these, uh, these magi are somewhat uh, mysterious figures. Um, we don't know much about them other than what's, uh, what we can glean from these few verses in Matthew's gospel. Um, the word magi is just the, the transliteration of the, the Greek word uh, magoi. Uh, it could mean magician. It could mean astrologer. Uh, traditionally, it's it's understood to be wise men, perhaps because they must have been wise to, to work out that the, the king of the Jews had been born. Uh, we're told that they were from the east, which is a fairly imprecise location. Um, 
but it means at least that they were likely foreigners to Israel. The other thing to notice here is that uh, we're not told how many of them that there were. Uh, We traditionally think there were three, uh, probably because of the Christmas carol, We Three Kings. Um, Shameless plug, come along next Saturday night for a (laughs) fantastic rendition of it, except for one of the kings, he's a bit dodgy, but... um, uh, or perhaps we think there were three because they had, well, they had three gifts, and so it'd be kind of neat if, you know, they had one each. But we don't know. We're not told there may have been two wise men. There may have been 20 magi. We're not told. Which means it doesn't matter how many there were. Uh, what we are told is that they saw a star when it rose. And that was a sign to them that one had been born king of the Jews. That's a dramatic uh, reinforcement there. <laughs> just in case you'd nodded off. Um, now, we might presume that there'd been some other revelation that had kind of connected the, the sign of the star with, uh, with knowing that this meant a king had been born. But at any rate, these magi are on the money. A king had indeed been born. And they're searching for this king of the Jews. Naturally, they go to Jerusalem. That's the, the capital of Judea. And they ask, verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, this this question is posed firstly uh, to Jerusalem. Kind of, you wonder if you picture, were they just wandering through the streets, kind of asking random people, hey, where's the the one born king of the Jews? Uh, But then specifically, this news, this question comes to King Herod. And the response in verse 3 there, notice, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. This suggestion that a new king had been born, it disturbed, troubled King Herod. Uh, We know from his later response later in in the chapter that in his mind, this news posed a threat to him a threat that that must be removed. This, uh, This child must be killed, thought Herod. And that, uh, that behaviour is true to form of Herod, uh, from what we know from other historical sources. Herod was so suspicious of any possible threat to his throne that he had many of his own relatives murdered, including uh, his wives and his sons, or some of his sons. He, he had them murdered in an attempt to secure his own position. Murderous paranoia would aptly describe Herod. He was disturbed and troubled. And notice it says, all Jerusalem with him. Were they fearful of a a volatile response from King Herod? Uh, Were they disturbed at the the prospect of 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 a change in leadership? At any rate, this is big news that impacted the whole city. The question posed by the Magi is, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? And to answer the question, Herod uh, gathers all the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law, and verse 4, he asks them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, notice there, Herod had some kind of expectation of uh, of a coming Messiah or or Christ, the same word, both mean king. He had this expectation that there would be a coming Messiah. And he knew enough to know that the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they would know more about this expectation which they did. They, they knew their Old Testament scriptures. They were able to answer, quoting the prophet Micah. They answer Herod, verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, 
Now, they're bang on the money. In fact, that's the same phrase Matthew used in verse 1 after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. They have the right answer. And they show from the Old Testament prophets how that points to this. They say, for this is what... Uh, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, there are, are, are many places in the Old Testament that they, uh, they could have uh, gone to that, that speak of the coming king, the, the Christ, the Messiah. But Micah chapter 5, which they quote, gives the location. It connects this ruler with, with Bethlehem. In the land of Judah. Uh, Micah, if you read through uh, the prophet, um, the the book of Micah, uh, he spoke during a dark time for God's people. Uh, Their leaders, the leaders of Israel and Judah, were were failing terribly. God promised that he he will bring out of Bethlehem one who will be ruler over Israel, one who, in the words of Micah, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This ruler that that God promised through Micah will be truly great. And notice there, he will be a shepherd for his people. Now, are um, are there any sheep farmers amongst us this morning? Are there anyone, anyone got any sheep? I don't think the Camerons are here. I thought they might have it. They've got goats at least. They're probably the closest we have to sheep farmers. Not being sheep farmers, this imagery perhaps is a little bit lost on us. But thankfully, I don't think we need to become sheep farmers to be able to understand the Bible. We just need to be Bible readers to understand the Bible. And other parts of the Bible spell it out for us pretty plainly, um, such as Ezekiel 34 where it says, it says uh, this about the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of God's people. God says through Ezekiel, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. It's this picture of of failed leadership, of self-serving rulers who exploit and destroy and neglect the people that they're meant to be caring for. And they do it for their own gain. And God says he'll get rid of those leaders. Continues verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. Because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. The Lord says he's going to to remove these leaders 
And he himself will come and be a shepherd. He says, for, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. And later in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God promised through Ezekiel that, that he would come to his people, that he would place over them one like, like David, a ruler and shepherd. This is what they needed. Friends, this is what we need. We're right to have a, a healthy realism or even scepticism of those in authority because, after all, they are sinful people just like you and I, just like Herod, just like the failed shepherds of Israel. But that doesn't mean that we should live with, with no leadership. No, we need a ruler. We need a shepherd. We need a ruler and shepherd like God. We need the one that he sent the one of whom it says later in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We need this one who came to us with, with compassion as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, for you, for me. Such is this shepherd's love and care for us. Jesus came as this shepherd. But as such, he's also the ruler. He's the king. He's the one in authority. And so, I guess by way of implication, let me return to my opening question, and that is, what's your attitude towards authority? And how do you respond when, when God walks into the room, so to speak? Or maybe put better, when you realise that God's in the room, because he's always been there. I think there are a few responses in this passage that, that we can learn from. Uh, firstly, and you can see if on, the, on the, uh, the handout, there's a little spot here, you can fill in, the, uh, fill in the blanks if you like doing that. Firstly, there's the, the veiled opposition of Herod. Uh, Herod said that he wants to find this child, verse 7. We read, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Herod pretends to be eager to go, to, to worship the newborn king. He, he feigns submission to this new king while secretly planning to, to kill him, as we read on to discover. I, I think Herod represents, uh, I guess, an exaggerated version of a common response to King Jesus, outward signs of acknowledging him as Lord and King, but inwardly and in reality, his rule is denied, his rule is opposed. What's your attitude to Jesus' authority? I hope it's not veiled opposition. Then secondly, there's the informed indifference of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These, these chief priests, these teachers of the Lord, they, they know their Bibles. They've got the correct answers. 
They, they know where to look for God's appointed king. But when they hear the Magi say, this king's actually arrived, that they're seemingly unmoved. They don't rush off to find him, to, to worship him. And in, the fact, in fact, in the end, we later discover that, that these same people, that despite the fact that they knew their Bibles, they ended up opposing Jesus and denying him as king. To know the truth of Jesus' authority, but remain indifferent, is in the end to deny him as king. As Jesus later said, whoever is not with me is against me. I hope that none of us respond with informed indifference. But then there's the, the Magi. These strange stargazing wise men from the east, their driving motivation is to find King Jesus and to worship him. They, they go to great lengths to do, to do this. We, we don't know exactly how far they travelled, but it was likely some distance. And they pursued this, this central goal of finding and worshipping this new king. Even though it ruffled feathers, even though it disturbed a powerful ruler like Herod, they saw the significance of the arrival of this ruler, of this shepherd, and they sought to acknowledge and worship him. What's your attitude to Jesus' authority? You know, in the end, it will, be, it will be seen in your actions, in whether you seek to, to live the way that, that he wants you to. I mean, if he's ruler, if he's shepherd, then that means he's in charge. He's got the steering wheel of your life. Uh, and we, we seek to listen to him. We, we obey him. We, we worship him. Wonderfully, this is not some kind of oppressive burden. Uh, it would be if Jesus was a tyrant like so many other kings. Now, obedience to Jesus is where freedom is found. It's where we find ourselves living the way our creator God intended us to be. Christmas brings the thrill of hope. Hope of the saviour who will save us from our sins and hope of the king who will lead us and shepherd us as his people. May we not respond with veil opposition or informed indifference, but may we rejoice this Christmas in the gift of the perfect King, our ruler and shepherd. And may we live to worship him. Amen.